Hi everybody, Liam here. Just a few quick notes before we start the show. First, I'm doing another live podcast taping at the Oakland Library. This one is going to be on March 24th, and as always, it's free to attend. The topic is Delilah Beasley, who was a pioneering black journalist and historian in the early 20th century. There's a brand new book called Trailblazer that explores Beasley's incredible life, and I'll be interviewing the authors of that book, Dana Johnson and Ana Cecilia Alvarez. Very excited for that. You can find all the details on the events page of eastbayyesterday.com. Also, a few weeks ago, I said that I'd be giving a shout out to all my Patreon supporters. Well, that time has arrived. Stay tuned for the credits if you want to hear me personally thank each and every one of the wonderful people who have started donating to East Bay yesterday, recently. I couldn't do it without you guys. Okay, on with the show. You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. Let's begin. Doesn't it seem like everything has been even more stressful than usual lately? Like, the world is turning into a never-ending train wreck of crisis after crisis after crisis. A little while ago, when I was trying to figure out what to cover for the next episode of this podcast, I just couldn't do another really serious or depressing or infuriating topic. I'll get back to those issues. I just had to take a little break this time. So I started thinking, what's a nice, relaxing story I can explore? Something soothing. Going for nature walks is my thing when I'm trying to chill out, so I was like, okay, there's got to be something there. I already did an episode about the history of the Redwoods, so what else? Birds. Yes, watching the birds perched in the trees or floating on the lake. Always a great way to unwind. So I went on a hunt for a pleasant little tale about East Bay bird history. And here's what I found. You're probably wondering, what the hell was that? Well, that was the sound of the winners from Piedmont High's bird calling contest, all doing their calls at the same time on The Tonight Show. This was back when Johnny Carson was the host. Johnny loved the bird call contest, and he'd have the winners on every year. Here's Joe Fendel, class of 91, reminiscing about his brush with fame. The year that I did go on Carson, later that summer, uh, my aunt was getting married in Texas, and I went to the wedding, um, and it was a question at the wedding uh, whether or not I should go with my father and uncles to the bachelor party. They were going to prepare this sort of, you know, very stereotypical bachelor party uh, with booze and strippers and the whole thing. Um, and they eventually decided that since my dad was going to be there, he could take me out if things got out of hand or for whatever reason he felt it was going to be inappropriate. So anyway, I'm at this bachelor party for my to-be uncle in Texas, 
and there is a stripper and she has taken off most of her clothes and she suddenly stops her bit and looks at me and says, oh my goodness, you're the kid who does bird calls on TV and points to her friend who is, that's the kid who's doing bird calls on TV. And she insisted on getting her picture taken with me. And then, and these are like Polaroid cameras. And I, I said, well, I, I need to get a copy of that. So uh, that was a very exciting moment in my 17-year-old life. You've probably gathered by now that this Piedmont contest isn't your normal bird calling competition, if there is such a thing, which I have no idea. But anyway, after I'd stumbled on one of those Johnny Carson clips on YouTube, I knew I had to follow the trail of breadcrumbs to see where this story would go. I mean, how is it that one of the wealthiest towns in California became nationally famous for a while for producing acts like this? Good evening. Last Saturday night, Abby and I spent a typical tedious and dateless evening at home doing nothing. We waited and waited and waited for Mr. Wonderful or anyone to call. Boy, were we bored. Suddenly, we heard a loud piercing noise. We dashed outside. And there he was, Anua Americanus, standing with so much pride. Gorgeous. Oh, gorgeous. I admired his protruding long nose and rather thin legs. He was only five feet tall, with a windpipe of four feet. But we didn't care. He then took one look at us and let out a piercing shrill that could be heard from miles away. Abby and I looked at each other with delight. We knew this was our big chance. And this is what we said that night. To our friend, the whooping crane. Today, we'll be exploring the very noisy history of the Piedmont bird callers. How did this all start? Why did such an elite city embrace such a bizarre spectacle as one of its proudest traditions? And will the contest, which hasn't happened in the last few years, ever return? Stay tuned to find out. I'm your host, Liam O'Donohue, and you're listening to East Bay Yesterday. Before we get into the contest, I want to acknowledge that imitating birds might sound like kind of a random hobby these days, but people have probably been doing this since, like, forever. Think about duck decoys, you know, the kind that hunters use. Those have been around for thousands of years. The Ohlone made them out of marsh grass, and being able to do a convincing duck call could have meant the difference between getting your next meal and going hungry. Nowadays, technology makes it all a bit easier. Here's a commercial from the Duck Commander to show what I'm talking about. This is a six-in-one pintail whistle. Great confidence call for everybody to have on their lanyard. When the ducks get leery in late season, this call right here will help you kill more ducks. There's no doubt about it. You can do a pintail, you can do a widgeon, you can do a green wing teal drake, you can do a mallard drake all on this call. They're six in one because it'll also do the sounds of a quail and a dove. For the ducks, the first one you have is a pintail. You're gonna cover this hole right here and then you're gonna 
flutter your uvula. That's that little ball of meat in the back of your throat. Super simple. Pintail sounds something like this. They don't make a whole lot of sound. So that's your pintail. Widgeon, the second note always goes up. So it's a three note. This one will do it just like this. When widgeons are coming into the decoys, I know you know this, they are very talkative. So it always helps to use that if you're decoying widgeon. Green wing teal drake, doesn't do a whole lot, just does a little peeping. This call will do that too. Mallard drake, you can do it also. You'll just cup the end with your hand, super simple, and hum a low bass note. That's all you gotta do. Quick side note, a few years ago, I interviewed a guy who told me he still remembers when there was a duck blind near the Bay Bridge Toll Plaza. He'd see the old Italian men from his neighborhood walking back home to North Oakland, carrying a string of dead birds. Anyway, the point is that imitating birds used to be a very practical skill. Although I'm not sure if anybody ever tricked a turkey with a call that sounded like this. That sound came from a trio of young Piedmont ladies who appeared on the David Letterman show in 2015. Letterman picked up the tradition after Carson retired, which brings us back to the contest. It all started in 1963, and like many great ideas, it was inspired by boredom. Here's Piedmont High Librarian Catherine Levinson explaining how the concept was hatched. We don't know how much of this is really sort of an apocryphal story, but um, Leonard J. Waxdeck was a biology teacher here. And theoretically, more than 53 years ago, students came to him and said, things are getting a little boring around here. Can we do something to liven it up? And Waxdeck said, gee, let's have a bird calling contest. So the very early bird calling contest, the basis of it was that the student would, or student or maybe a couple students would select a bird. They had to do a presentation that included the scientific name of the bird, certain facts about the bird, like how many eggs does it lay, what does it look like, and then at the end of that, they would have to give the bird call. Apparently, word got around campus that all this was pretty entertaining because the contest soon migrated from the classroom to the school's theater. In the beginning, if you look back at the um, like old clips from shows that were done on it, it was sort of very formal and people, the guys would wear kind of like a blazer or something and the girls would wear like a nice afternoon dress. Things really started to take off in 1976. That was the first time the winners got invited to perform on TV. But before we get into how Johnny Carson put this tiny East Bay town in the national spotlight, here's a bit more about how the competition works. Again, Katherine Levinson, who's produced the event and served as one of its judges. Well, I think we're looking for what the overall package is. And there are certain things that they have to, certain components they have to hit. So they have to hit the factual information. 
we've gotten to the point now where we project a picture of the bird so people can see what it actually should look like. Then they do their act. And so it's kind of things like how confident are they, artistic quality. And then at the end, we play a recording of the actual call. And part of it is how good is the the actual call. And some of them are quite elaborate. That was the Willow Ptarmigan call from one of the 2018 winners. Is that really what a Willow Ptarmigan sounds like? Here's a field recording of the bird, so you can judge for yourself. I talked to a few former participants, and one thing they all agreed on was that accuracy wasn't really the most important criteria. Here's Laurel Cecilla, class of 1990. It was about putting on a show really more than anything else. And I think that's what seems to surprise some people um, is not that it's not authentic, but that we weren't necessarily ornithologists who had huge interests in birds and studying birds or even science and that kind of thing. It was more like, this is such a unique and quintessential Piedmont event that everybody wants to be a part of. I want to do it too. Nobody seems to remember exactly how the bird call contest came to the attention of Johnny Carson, but once he started inviting the winners on The Tonight Show, performances got wackier. Students knew that if they wanted to get on TV, they really had to shake their tail feathers. Again, Laurel Cecilla. It all starts very authentically as far as, okay, how does this bird sound and what can we do to make that? And then of course, there becomes some embellishing about, okay, well, what can we do to really make this a show and get people's attention and get people to laugh and add some shock value into there? Here's a description of the act that she did with a partner that got them on Carson. We did some things where we put our hands up to our faces and we kind of moved up and down and we almost did like dance movements to some degree. And then I think where we really got the shock value was when I was doing something with my hands on my cheeks and one finger on my lips. And then my partner, who's whistling and screeching at the same time, all of a sudden out of nowhere, puts her hand up to my mouth and starts basically making, um, you know, it was her finger that was that was making the sounds on my lips. And then we both turned around and it was just sort of crazy and mayhem. But um, it was it was a real routine and it was it was much about sort of the motions and the, I, I don't know, it's it's hard to say, but it was, it, the bird was called the Manx Shearwater and it was just really loud and garish and obnoxious and the kind of thing that, um, you know, to us was like, okay, we're going to be able to go crazy with this. This is what it sounded like. And while you're listening, picture two high school girls wearing matching dresses that Laurel described as something out of a Cindy Lauper video. Very colorful. Good evening. 
evening. The Manx Shearwater, more formally known as Puffinus Puffinus, is a black bird with long, slender wings, complete with white lining. She inhabits Hawaii and New Zealand. Her diet consists of squid, crab, and fish, but it's her captivating call you can't resist. The moment you've all been waiting for, she sounds like this. <laughs> What an interesting double date those girls were having. <laughs> wow. Okay. That guy that we heard from at the beginning of the show, who got recognized by the uh, exotic dancers, Joe Fendel, he was on Carson the same year as Laurel. Joe's act was pretty outlandish, too. There was a very physical nature to these calls, and you know, really successful calls were you were waving your arms or your legs or jumping up and down or otherwise sort of like, you know, really giving everything uh, to embody the bird um, as much much as you could. And that was that was part of this call as well is, is a lot of like shake. And because I had this full head of long hair, uh, it sort of added to the to the feathery effect. For this one, picture a kid who kind of looks like Slash from Guns N' Roses wearing a baggy sports coat. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the Magnificent Frigate Bird, known in scientific circles as Frigata Magnificence. The Magnificent Frigate Bird lives in Hawaii and along the Pacific coast. It's a very large bird with a wingspan that can reach up to eight feet long. It has night black plumage and a very distinguished forked tail. It also has the annoying habit of stealing all its food from the mouths of other birds. In fact, the only food that it hunts for itself is these tiny, helpless, newly hatched baby turtles running for the sea. <laughs> and the last sound that these baby turtles hear right before they're swallowed is... For those of you younger listeners who don't remember Johnny Carson, I just want to explain something real quick. He was the host of The Tonight Show long before Netflix and YouTube. I don't even think most people had cable yet. So Carson wasn't like Jimmy Fallon. He was way, way bigger. On a good night, 
maybe 9 million people would tune in. The audience was massive. And if all this wasn't already surreal enough, wait until you hear who these goofy high school kids were sharing the green room with backstage. The other acts the night that we were on the show, when we were the headliners, um, so they went before us waiting for us to kind of be the grand finale. Um, We all sat in the green room together. The first was um, Dizzy Gillespie, the guy with the huge cheeks that did the trumpet. And the other was this no-name comedian that nobody had really heard of, and it was Jerry Seinfeld. So we were on the show the same night as Jerry Seinfeld, which is really, really wild to think about. And he wasn't even that funny. We didn't think he was that funny. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 53rd annual Leonard J. Waxdeck Bird Calling Contest. Tonight, we have some excellent talent for you all. We know you won't egret paying all that money to come see our show. (laughs) (laughs) Those guys you just heard, Will Riker and Jeremy Wong, were the MCs of the last Bird Call Contest back in 2018. By the way, the contest is on hiatus now, but it's supposed to return in 2021. We'll get back to that later. When I asked Will Riker why he thinks the contest has remained such a proud Piedmont tradition for so many decades, he brought up a point I hadn't really considered. It certainly is something that gives Piedmont High School a little bit of good press um, because we have in the past been known for other less, uh, less positive things. If you aren't familiar with East Bay geography, Piedmont is like an island, a very wealthy island, except instead of water, it's surrounded by Oakland. The median annual income in Piedmont is over $200,000 compared to about 50000 for Oakland, and it's much, much less diverse. In other words, a lot whiter. So if you think about Piedmont in this context as an enclave of privilege ringed by a city known for potholes, bankrupt schools, and widespread homeless encampments, you can start to get an idea of what Will means when he says less positive. Do you think that maybe like part of this contest, because it is so silly and so goofy, like a chance for Piedmont students to show the world like, hey, we're not all kind of stuck up preppies or something like that like we're goofy and we can get on stage and kind of make fun of ourselves and have fun too do you think there might be anything of that to why people are so proud of this tradition because it kind of cuts against piedmont's reputation in some ways yeah absolutely i think if the bird calling contest didn't exist piedmont high school would be known for either being preppy and elitist or for the fsl the fsl stands for fantasy slut league It was a scandal that broke back in 2012. The story is that a group of male students were keeping score, like tallying up how many girls they were hooking up with. The word got out. People were outraged. There were school assemblies. And yeah, the whole thing, creepy, to say the least. It made national and I believe even international news for being a gigantic, colossal embarrassment for the school and something that, you know, we are still working to try and recover from. 
I didn't ask Laurel about the FSL, but I did run this theory by her. It's a pretty self-conscious place, maybe one of the reasons why the bird call contest was so enthusiastically embraced by the whole town was because it challenged, or at least distracted from, the image a lot of people might have of Piedmont. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I would say that makes sense. Um, I mean, it was it was kind of what, I mean, back back in the day, you know, with the whole Johnny Carson thing, it kind of became what the town was known for. And you would mention Piedmont and people would say, oh, the, the bird calling. And and you're right, like that is kind of a refreshing, unique, fun thing um, to associate it with as opposed to, you know, maybe the real estate or, you know, the demographics or whatever else. Um, so, yeah, I can see that. Joe Fendel doesn't disagree. Um, it makes some sense. Sure, I could imagine that, like, of all the things to be known for, why not? Why not something as uh, sort of silly and entertaining as a bird calling contest? I'm hoping that we will get it going back and it'll be bigger than ever, because it's kind of hard as the producer this last year when I didn't get enough student enthusiasm I would get calls from our local papers saying, you're letting it die. And I'm like, I'm not letting it die. I'm trying to get people to do it, you know, but I'm not going to do it for them. They, the students have to want to do it. You can't force those noises out of people. They've got to want to make them themselves, right? <laughs> I don't know. I could probably make a couple of them squawk. The contest didn't happen in 2019 because, as Catherine just mentioned, there weren't enough acts. And it won't be happening this year either, because the Piedmont High Theater is being rebuilt. The plan is for the competition to rise like the mythological phoenix and return triumphantly for the school's 100th anniversary in 2021. I really hope it does, and not just because it's kind of hilarious. I think part of it might be, too, that we're having this whole... Um sort of climate crisis going on. And as we are losing species, people are getting more interested in seeing and preserving what species we still have. They're kind of like, we need to do it now. You know, maybe if I want to go look at these birds in 20 years, maybe they won't be out there. So I think there definitely is a more conservationist theme to the show in recent years, because you're talking about birds. Um, you're talking about one of a species that has been severely impacted by climate change and human development. And I think that if we are to be making bird calls and, and educating people about birds, one of the most important things we can do is educating them. How can we help to protect them? How can we help to how can we help to protect their environment and make sure that they have a clean and safe world to live in? Sometimes when I'm hiking, I'm just, you know, chugging along maybe listening to a podcast, certainly enjoying the nature, but not deeply connected with it. When I'm looking for birds, it's totally different. Just last weekend, I went with friends out to some East Bay mudland on the other side of the Oakland Hills. As soon as we hit the trail, we started going really, really slow. If you want to see the birds, or even really hear them, you've got to sort of act like a tree. Stand still, be quiet, blend in. And while you're waiting for the birds, you notice things 
and appreciate things that you never would if you were just zooming right past. That appreciation, it changes you. Look, I know the Piedmont Bird Call Contest doesn't turn everybody into a birder or a conservationist, but even if it nudges just a few people in that direction, I'll take it. Get it? I'll take it? Like, whoo, whoo. <laughs> Sorry, that was pretty bad. I'll just let Will have the last word. Well, certainly whenever I hear a bird call walking down the street, I think of, you know, what, what I could do to possibly emulate it. I was camping with my dad a, a couple of months ago, and we were hearing, we were hearing loons out on the water up in, uh, up in New England. And the loon is a very difficult call to get right because it's so high and it has such a, an interesting and almost otherworldly sound to it. And so I was trying to, to emulate the call of the loon. And I think it's something that once you have done the bird calling contest, you start to see birds, you start to hear birds in a, a different kind of, in, in, in a whole new light. Thank you so much for listening to East Bay Yesterday. I've been your host, Liam O'Donoghue. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Leonard J. Waxdeck. Besides the people I interviewed, I also want to thank Gina Kalakura from Calex, who let me use some clips from her interview with the 2018 winners. Also, Sam Lefebvre and Jenny O'Dell, who joined me on that bird hike last weekend and always inspire me to learn more about our flying friends. All right, a little while ago I said that I'd need some more financial support to keep the show going, and a bunch of people stepped up to the following individuals who've started supporting this show on Patreon. I am deeply and profoundly grateful. Jody London, Nario Sistis, L, Avi Flamholtz, Mark Cummins, Regina Graham, Alex M, Bettina Perry, Lynn-Ann Jacob, Brandy Bloomberg, Sarah Ferguson, Kelsey Kerr, Felix Davis, Annie Ledbury, Ben Keller, Miniman, Neil Parrish, Ian Britton, Evan Hashi, Mary Luskin, Sasha Verhaj, Nico Tripsevich, M. Jahi Chappelle, Stella Liu, Darla Downing, Michael Hanneman, Kirsten Vega, Jeff Oliver, Ron Sharp, Elia Shelton, Aaron Averill, Adrian Lemberger, Elizabeth McLeod, Daniel Kessler, Jennifer Sahadi, Rachel, Daniela C., Laura Shewell, Aaron McGregor, and Axel Hobson. If I missed you or I pronounced your name wrong, please let me know. I want to make sure that everyone gets thanked appropriately. If you want to support the show, you can make your donation at patreon.com slash eastbayyesterday. I'll be reading the names of all my new donors again in a few episodes. Okay, don't forget to follow East Bay Yesterday on Twitter, 
Facebook, and Instagram. I will be posting some videos and photos related to this episode. They're hilarious. You're going to want to check them out. It's all at eastbayyesterday.com. And if you enjoyed today's story, please do me a favor and share it. That would be awesome. You can subscribe to East Bay Yesterday on Spotify and pretty much all the major podcast apps. Music for this episode came from Lee Rosevere, Frank Haffert, Jared C. Ballow, and Dark Sun. The theme song music came from Anatech. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back soon with more episodes of East Bay Yesterday.